The Los Angeles Times has described Derek Spiva's music as something to savor and enormous fun to listen to. His works have been premiered by the Los Angeles Chamber Orchestra, UCLA Philharmonia, Los Angeles Electric 8, and the Salestina Music Society, to name just a few. He received the New Music USA Award in 2010 and 11 and was awarded a composer residency with the Los Angeles Chamber Orchestra through New Music USA's Music Alive program. He serves as the artistic director of the New Music Collective and arts organization Bridge to Everywhere. I sat down with Derek to discuss his exciting work and his passion for connecting and exploring diverse cultures through music. So, Derek, welcome to Classical Chop Studio. Thank you. Happy to be here. It's really great to talk to you. So you're a composer, conductor, musician, and teacher. And uh, you have a new album out called American Mirror. So I wanted to talk a little bit about your aesthetic and the album. It's with the Salestina Music Society. And um, you integrate a lot of musical practices from other cultures. So I wanted to talk about how that fits into your aesthetic. And um, yeah, so tell me about American Mirror and how it came about. Yeah, so the the best way for me to describe what's happening in American Mirror than what I do in general is to talk about the definition of the linguistic term code switch. Okay. Or code switching. So code switching uh, as it pertains to linguistics is when uh, a, an individual will switch between two or more languages within the same conversation. Okay. Uh, so, for example, if I was just, uh, you know, speaking English and then all of a sudden I went into Spanish towards the end of our conversation, that would be a moment of code switching. Okay. And so what I like to do is the same thing in music where you'll hear some phrase or some melodic line that's associated with one particular style of writing or one particular cultural influence. And then in the phrase or have embedded in the middle of the phrase something that's characteristic of a different culture's approach to melodic lines, chord structures, rhythms, and various other things, and then go back or move on to a third one. Okay. And right. so uh, that's what I do in a lot of my pieces, and that's what the main thing was in American Mirror, is uh, during the string quartet and the chamber music, uh, the, the chamber orchestra piece, there was a bunch of code switching where I would go from rhythms that were that could be closely uh, associated with some of the stuff that you might find in Ghanaian drumming, uh, dancing and singing, and then have uh, melodic lines that you might associate with like Balkan uh, folk music or uh, uh, northern Ghanaian flute music uh, from the Dagombas and um, have it transition um, one to the next or have them layered on top of each other. Now, is there some kind of connective thread that that can cohesively tie all these together? Yeah. So Was one it of the, the harmony. Or? Yeah, one of the things that I've kind of found out. I've I've been kind of working on understanding these different types of cultural music for about fifteen years, and um, what I found is that there's actually a lot of bridge points between each culture's music. Um, whether that's in, like, the decorations, like there's uh, a lot of North African, Eastern European uh, ornamentations that, that they use in their melodic lines uh, that are very, very similar. 
and um, there's also uh, there's a, a lot of rhythms that that you can find that are used in West Africa, South Africa, Eastern Africa, and the Americas. South America, a lot of different cultures, you can find like unifying rhythms um, kind of throughout. And then there's also um, really interesting uh, approaches to some of the the traits in uh, church music in the United States, um, like uh, uh, Baptist uh, church music um, that also have uh, similarities with uh, like Malayan, like blues type music. And, and then, of course, blues is like a huge thing here in the U.S., um, <laughs> jazz and that whole thing. But a lot of, like, you can trace the roots back to the, these different cultures, and right. they're all kind of still doing the same thing. And so there's a lot of common threads. Now, is this something that you were inspired from, like, your family? I mean, in communicating. I would just say this because for Thanksgiving, I went over to see a good friend of mine for many years. He's Mexican. And the family was this wild mix of some people speak English, some people only Spanish, some people did a hybrid. And so for the whole dinner, you never knew what was really going to come out, come at you. And it seems a lot like, I mean, it was kind of code switching at dinner. Oh, yeah. And no one awesome. ever needed to translate for anyone else. Yeah. Like, that never Everybody, happened. they just follow you with it yeah, as and it you, goes. And you get the gist, and everything went smoothly, And but now I'm realizing this is exactly what that... This is, that, that's exactly that's what, what it is, what, right? That's exactly what it is. And yeah. everyone had kind of had their own interpretation of, or their own communication style, I guess I should say. Mm-hmm. But we all had a beautiful meal, so... Yeah. Something worked. There you so go. is that where you, is that the kind of idea, or the, where you got this like... Yeah, no, that's the that's the idea, the and then for for my family, my family kind of grew into a diverse family by like a lot of the siblings just kind of married out of the family. So for for uh, kind of out of our racial tribe, I guess I you see, could right. say. Um, so there's like kind of people from everywhere that are part of our family. I'm, my wife is uh, Vietnamese American. So uh, when I was growing up. My, my, the, the, the only language that was spoken in my house was like English and Southern English. Okay. And, and what is your background? <laughs> my background is I'm just, uh, as far as I know, I'm actually going to do one of those 23 and Oh, yeah, things, you have. So I'm like really excited about that. But as far as I know, I'm just an African-American man, you know, I, 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 um, <laughs> I don't, I don't, so until I kind of get that test back, I don't, <laughs> I don't exactly know if there's anything else involved there. Um, but I, but I, I don't look like that. Like a lot of times people will say that I look like I'm from Egypt or Morocco. I can see that. Or like, yeah. So, uh, or, or, uh, Eritrea sometimes I've heard. <laughs> um, so it's fine. <laughs> okay, you have to come back then yeah. and reveal the results. I do. I, I totally will. Um, so uh, my family didn't, they, they, those were the only two languages that were spoken in my family, but musically. So English and Southern English. English and Southern English, yeah. But, but musically, there were a lot of different languages in my family okay. because my father uh, is a kind of avid consumer of music. And uh, we'd be listening to, you know, Broadway show tunes. Nice. We'd be listening to uh, soundtracks from different films. Uh, and then, of course, pop music, jazz, blues, gospel, the whole thing. And so the the, the musical kind of environment uh, of my family was, like, really, really broad and really, really big. And um, I, I just 
you know, if I wasn't a composer, I'd probably be an astronaut or a scientist because I was always interested in the way that things fit together and then the way that things work and then the way that things kind of naturally emerge from one thing to the next. And so when I, when I got into composing, really my interest was in how there's like all of these different styles of music that people have come up with uh, all across the world, and some of them distinctly sound like so different, but everybody's a human being, and I'm, I'm always wondering, because we're connected through our genes, there's like a certain set of chromosomes that kind of makes a human being what a human being is. There, I wonder if there's these other kind of connecting materials that we can find in our creativity as it relates to music. Absolutely. So then what was your first instrument, and then what got you composing? So my first instrument was actually the drums. Okay. Yeah. Um, I noticed there's a lot and, of drumming. Yeah, and, and that was mainly just banging around stuff in the house and getting in trouble for doing it. Very good. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but then uh, I picked up the trombone. Okay. Um, right. I, I actually wanted to play the saxophone and the flute, but my band director really wanted trombone players. He wanted low brass, and so he That's just amazing. gave me a trombone. Everyone has that kind of story, right, where somebody yeah. just said, no, yeah, here's exactly. an oboe, and yeah. it's it, pretty incredible. Yeah, I was kind of mad about it when I was a kid. I was like, but I don't want it. Like, this thing has a slide. Everybody else is playing with keys. <laughs> like, I want to move my fingers, not my arm. You know, so anyway, I ended up on the trombone, but then when I got to high school, I was able to kind of branch out, and so I kind of floated back into the percussion section. And I kept doing trombone and euphonium, and then I was d dabbling around with the percussion. But then when I got to college, I stopped playing trombone uh, as much, and I got really into different kinds of percussion instruments. Uh, so I did a lot of—I uh, um, studied tabla um, at UCLA and CalArts, and then um, I also studied a, a lot of West African drum dance uh, and singing at UCLA. And they have that great ga gamelan there. Too. Yeah, People. and I play the gamelan in the gamelan class at UCLA, nice. which is amazing with um, Pac Winton. And it's just amazing, yeah. And then I also wrote and uh, participated in uh, some of the, the Balkan Ensemble choral works and stuff at uh, UCLA. I actually was able to write for that choir. It was really amazing. Was that the, like, mysterious... No, that was not... No, I'm thinking of something else. That's Balkan. I think of the Bulgarian voices. Oh, yeah, yeah. The Bulgarian Women's Choir. Yeah. Is that... That's that. Yeah, that's that? like a totally big thing. Yeah, yeah. it yeah. was in the nineties. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it still is. It's no, great. well, for I mean, for me, it was a big thing. Like I, I had never heard. What's really fascinating for me about that type of vocal singing is it kind of comes from the same place vocally as gospel music. Interesting. And so here's so, a thread that connects them. Yeah, and so what changes is the way that the vibrato is used. So in gospel music, the vibrato is completely different than in like the Bulgarian women's choir, and then also some of the scales are different. Right, right. For gospel, it's more blues. For for uh, the Bulgarian women's choir, they, there's like some different modes that, that they sing in, but like the, where it comes from in the, in the voice is the same place. It's the same place. That's fascinating. And so like that's, how, that's why you can kind of hear them both, and they're both like really powerful. Like right. Really forceful singing. It's amazing stuff. It's Love incredible. It. So then... What was your first exposure to just 
straight-up traditional classical music. So my first exposure uh, to traditional classical music was actually Beethoven's Ninth. Um, and then immediately following that was... Uh, <laughs> Uh, Jurassic Park. By yes, John Williams. <laughs> those are <laughs> An the two obvious things. Obvious progression. Yeah, those are the two <laughs> things that I have like the earliest memory of. Is I remember hearing Beethoven's Ninth because my grandmother really loves that piece, and so she's like all about it. Um, and then for Jurassic Park, I just remember being so scared when I was a kid watching that film, and then I remember uh, just loving, like, the theme, the main theme that's just, like, a minor second, da-da-da, right? Um, <laughs> I, I really loved, what like, that theme and the way that it was orchestrated when the dinosaurs came on the screen. I was just like, oh, my gosh, it's this is amazing, yeah. Now, do you write film music? Um, I've written some film music. Okay. I, I, I don't... I guess, I, you know, I'd love to do more film music, but I, I don't think I want to approach it the way that it's traditionally approached Mm -hmm. where you know you kind of just apply for being the composer on some specific film and then you come in and then they you know they give you a bunch of temp score of some stuff that they want you to sound like then they don't really know what they want yeah yeah and i'm just like yeah (laughs) i just don't feel like doing that so um i'd love to have it be more of like a you know, collaboration, Trent, Trent right? Reznor yeah. situation or like a Philip Glass situation where they say, hey, we like what you do as a composer, and so we just want you to bring that language to our film, right. you know? Right. So then they, they, they say, hey, you know what? This can really use that Philip Glass type sound. Let's call <laughs> Philip <laughs> up <laughs> and let's have him come and score this film, right. you know, that kind of situation. Because then, you know, you called him. So you know what you're going to get, right? right? So <laughs> Yeah, I've been thinking the same way myself. And I thought, I, what I won't do is I will not allow anyone to give me a temp track. Like, I'm yeah. not, if you send me a temp track, it's over. Yeah. <laughs> we yeah. can meet for coffee. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. is Because, you know, you spend, as a composer, for me, I mean, you spend a lot of time just, like, working on this idea, this concept, uh, this, like, approach. This voice, yeah. The voice that I have to, like, just, you know, go and try and sound like somebody else. I just don't feel like doing it. Right. <laughs> or to have it turn into wallpaper. That yeah. was When I was listening to your music, I thought, oh, maybe it'll be kind of filmic. And, I mean, I think this is a column, but it, it wasn't to me. It didn't mm-hmm. sound like it could just immediately be slapped up on the end credits somewhere. Yeah. So well, I kept listening and listening and listening, and I, I just have to tell you, I just love it. I love the drive. I love the... Energy is so uplifting and of your music. Oh, thank you so much. Um, so anyways, whatever that means. Um. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm trying to run after uh, Arvo Part because oh. Arvo, you know, you can go to a concert of one of his pieces and just be like, oh my gosh, mm-hmm, that's mm-hmm. one of the most beautiful things I've ever heard. Right. And then someone will take it and put it on a film. Right. But re- whether it's on the film or not, people are just like, oh, this is just, this is great. Right. You know, yeah, I agree. And he's, like, never written a film score in his life. <laughs> but he has, like, all these credits for, like, right. film scores. Totally. And people just take his pieces and they just, just put, put it in. And it there. works. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm happy to do that. But, uh, <laughs> but, but, but people have tried and some of it just doesn't fit. Like, you would think that it would go with an image, but then, like, there's a bunch of busyness in there right. that causes it to, like, demand a little bit more attention. Right, right. So... Yeah. Well, f- film music used to demand attention. It did. Anyways, let's not go down that road. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, tell me about working with Salastina. I know everyone in the group. Oh, I think okay. It was such a great 
Yeah. Like collaboration. Yeah, South Sea Music Society is just exceptional. Like exceptionally brilliant. On all levels. On all levels. Like performance, the approach to the performance, like like the 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 lecture they have like a, a kind of a, a lecture series way of presenting the music so that you can really like let the music become part of your life outside of just hearing it. Right. And that's so important. Yeah. yeah. I mean, especially with what you've just told us. Yeah. You can imagine very, how much is lost if you just present the music. Yeah, and then it's like, well, what was that? Right. What was that? That was some blues thing that wasn't blues. Like what did you <laughs> like what did you just do? Right. And then you people know? leave kind of not yeah, confused. Like, who is that but, person? Right, right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I've noticed that lately too. Just they just need a little bit to kind of like unlock Right. Yeah. Well, and it makes the art personal, and that right. for me, that for me is is the greatest thing about South Sea Music Society is their ability to really make what they're doing on stage become personal, so that you can relate to it, and it really has a profound effect as a listener when you when you leave the concert because you know more about the composer, you probably know more about the history and the context of the music, which helps inform you about the context of music being written today. Right. Like, and I would argue that yeah. you end up leaving knowing more about yourself. Exactly. Which is really, I think, the point of all this. Yeah. Like the last concert uh, they had where Tonality was on their mm. oh, concert yeah. as well, uh, Brian from KUSC had curated the concert. And he had uh, some Dvorak on there and talked about how Dvorak was actually a a really big advocate for African-American music when he was commissioned to come to the United States to kind of find that American sound. And he famously said, oh, well, it's already here. It's here, here, yeah. Yeah, and it's in the work of of a lot of African-Americans that are writing music. And uh, the culture at the time, you know, weren't very happy to hear that the people they had been subjugating and killing for the past few hundred years was actually uh, had the American sound in their music. They were the American sound. They were the American sound. And so, like, it was really profound. And so he brought all this information in to the concert while we were listening to it. And then you also heard, like, quotes from composers at that time who didn't agree with him or who, like, Hmm. resented and rejected that statement. So Breckner comes to mind, who was oh. like, who totally like passed off that and was just like, "Oh, you have no idea what you're talking about. This is totally not." And I just and the, the quote actually <laughs> has some choice words in it, but um, I remember hearing it and thinking, "Man, this guy was racist." Yeah, and like, and then <laughs> you know, and then you're you're thinking, okay, well, at that time, and you know, it was this, it was another time. It's like, yeah, but. I'm just going to hold that man to the standard. I mean, there mm-hmm, were also mm-hmm. people at that time that weren't racist. So, like, it was crazy, you know. I I, I couldn't believe that, that people would say stuff like that, people that were create, creating that kind mm-hmm. of art. But, right. A, you, you something know, so universal. There's a history for it, yeah. And Bruckner was extremely religious, so I don't know why those he two was. things always go together. We yeah. do a separate podcast just on that. Oh, wow, yeah. <laughs> Religion and racism. Yeah, yeah, well... Right. It's all about power. <laughs> oh, don't get me started, Derek. <laughs> but even like, but I mean, it's the same thing with like why, why you know, the Jewish community has serious issues with Wagner. Right. You know, like, yeah, I mean, that guy said some really, he said some really messed up stuff, man. Right. And it wasn't cool. 
No. Whether, whether it was in the past or right now. It's right. just not cool. Yeah, that's also a, could be a whole separate podcast. Do you like Wagner's music? Besides I mean, I, that? I mean, there's like, so I have this thing about uh, a lot of different kinds of classical music that I listen to where there are just magical moments. <laughs> right. Where like this moment, and I'm just like, oh my gosh, I can live in this one specific moment for just forever because it's such a good moment, even though the rest of the piece I'm not really that hip on. And so that kind of happens with like, Composers who overall I'm not a really big fan of, but they have like a lot of really amazing moments in their music. And Wagner is one of those composers where, for me, where he's got some really good moments, <laughs> but I'm not, I, I just, you know, I'm not going to sit in the car and roll for, Wagner for, for going and down hours. the 405, you know. <laughs> It's not going to happen. No, I get it. I get it. Tell me a little bit about your work with this organ- your organization, Bridge to Everywhere, because I think this is kind of on the same subject we're talking about. You are the conductor, and um, this is a group that advocates for community outreach, correct, and building mm-hmm. bridges between diverse communities? Yeah. Tell me a little bit about it, and what yeah. is the group? Yeah, so the group is uh, comprised of musicians that actually do a lot of code switching. Like, they <laughs> kind of research ways that they can code switch as a performer in their solos and um, in just their work of, of just being a good, well-rounded musician. Um, if, it, if it hasn't been part of the future of a musician to learn how to play in different styles, it is now. Like, there's a a real kind of desire for a musician, even a classical musician, to learn and to to kind of expand their technique so that they can encompass all kinds of approaches to their that same instrument. Right. You know, so, for example, a violinist might study Western classical violin, but there's also violin playing in India. That's completely different, and and there are there are aesthetics to that style of playing that make it sound that way, right? So, Bridge to Everywhere brings together uh, a bunch of musicians who are kind of forging that path for themselves, and brings them together in a way that like we can have an ensemble that also approaches things that way. So, for example, we'll go in and we'll play. Um, we often play, like, there's this uh, really cool piece by Approvalor Srinivasan called Jamming Saints. <laughs> I like that. Time. And we really love playing this piece. It's based on, like, Carnatic music. And it's actually just one monophonic line. But no matter what ensemble we have, we arrange that monophonic line in a specific way so that everybody can kind of get in and keeps it refreshed. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the piece is just, like, an amazing piece, and it's very, like, translatable and very, very, like, uh, digestible for, like, a classical musician. And then, so when a classical musician learns that piece, it's based off of Carnatic music. So um, an Indian vocalist or an, uh, or somebody that plays an Indian instrument, uh, uh, Indian cl- a classical Indian instrument like, like sitar or something like that, could come and, and play with us and understand some of the concepts that are in the music fully because it's coming from a tradition that they are fairly, you know, aware of. Right, right. Um, although there's, like, two different, uh, two different prominent styles of, of Indian classical music. There's the Hindustani and then there's the Carnatic. But there's some overlap in some of the uh, approaches. And what is the main difference between the two? So the main difference uh, between the two is like there's they they name the different talls 
the different rhythmic cycles, something different, but then they also count them a bit differently okay. as well. Like the, the twos and the threes are broken up in like a cycle of 11 might be slightly different. Um, there's uh, also um, melodically, there's some, some differences between the rogs, but there's also some similarities. Like sometimes you'll find um, rogs that are prevalently found in Carnatic music found uh, in Hindustani music, like kind of lightly, I guess you could say. And then, there, yeah, there's just like a, there's like a different, it's a different style of rocks. And there's also some different ways, uh, different approaches to or ornamentation as well uh, for the two different styles. But um, the really cool thing is, is about the community part, one of the things that we really love doing is engaging with other musicians from other communities, uh, from other musical communities to play with us. So for example, we have an oud player that will play with us sometimes. His name is Dimitri. He's an amazing player. He's actually on the first album that I have, Prism Cycles Leaps, and then he was also at the session concert. That was the other thing we were going to talk right. about. He was also at the session concert, and then we also have this vocalist. Her name is Siley Oak, and she's a Hindustani classical singer. And uh, she is um, a, a teacher in the Indian classical, uh, Hindustani classical community. And she's also kind of joined the group. And she's uh, been a, just an amazing vocalist to kind of help us tie all this together with that, that uh, Hindustani Indian classical voice. And so that's, that's been in, uh, like a, a really big engagement that we've had uh, with the classical uh, Indian community. And so where does the group perform mainly? Um, well, Bridge to Everywhere. Bridge to Everywhere. We did our first performance at the uh, Theater Raymond Cabaz uh, off of Pico. Um, and then the second one was at, mm, <laughs> I can't even remember. But, uh, uh, but I think for the majority of the time, like our performances are mainly just in venues that we can get. Right. Yeah. So, right. like, it's not necessarily like, we're at Royce Hall, like, every year. <laughs> We'd love to be at that point. And then the group point, is on that first album, Prism, Cycles, and Leaps, right? Yeah. 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 So tell me a bit about the LACO, the LA Chamber Orchestra Session concert. I went to the first one they did with Andrew Norman. I couldn't go to yours, but I, I did have a good time. It was fascinating. Yeah. So tell me what you did with yours and, and tell everyone how it really works. These are uh, composers selected and then curates the program. Yeah. Correct. So the session concert was one of the funnest things I have ever done in my life. <laughs> That's good to hear. So it was produced by Four Larks and Los Angeles Chamber Orchestra. It's a partnership between the two. And Four Larks is like an amazing like production amazing. crew. They bring in, they, they, they think of all these props, these ways to present it. They bring in all these artists from all over the, the county. Oh, yeah. I'm going to have Matt on the podcast. Oh, yeah. yeah. He's amazing. <laughs> amazing. Totally amazing. Um, and so the the theme that we went with uh, was um, more about like uh, geometry and mathematics as it exists in the natural world. Okay. So um, architecture of like the the things that Earth makes. Okay. You know. So for example, when you look at like bacteria and you see there's like these different strands that kind of come out and all these little dots and all this stuff, all these little things. And then you look at the way that our city sprawl looks. Uh, there's like some really interesting similarities there. Like it just kind of naturally happened that way. And so uh, there was like this amazing, there was like this pendulum uh, that they had that had like this dirt in it that, you know, people could like swing. And then it created this 
kind of natural design just right, based on the physics of the push, right? And um, and and then every piece that was on the program was a code switching piece. Okay. It was a piece that kind of went in and out of uh, multiple languages kind of in the piece. In fact, the very first piece on the program was by uh, Connor Abbott Brown, and his piece had Siley Oak, who is a Hindustani classical vocalist, singing in Finnish <laughs> on it. a piece that was about, like, a Finnish folk tunes. And, like, that was it was an amazing piece. But it was all kind of showing that, like, the kind of natural or the kind of, um, I, I guess, uh, just not necessarily natural, but, like, familiar way that things progress is by things kind of coming together to create something else. Right. Right. And so each piece kind of had these multiple languages, these this code switching concept to it. They they were kind of coming together and kind of creating a new language that's based off of two or three other ones. That were diverse. That's such diverse, a great message yeah. for today, because it seems like everything we see on TV and politics is just the opposite. You it's have like to be separate. in your camp right. to get it. It's not true. Right. This is a great message. So the entire program was like this. The entire program was like this. Like if you think of the, like English and how many words that we've borrowed from French <laughs> and and but but it's like no longer borrowed because like there are certain things that are just called that, you know, right. like a, a coup d'etat, right? <laughs> right. Like that's it's just we know that that's what that is and that's part of our our language now. And so my vision is to kind of see out where uh, composers are doing this because they're kind of creating that new language. Right. There's like this this new thing. That new way in. Yeah, yeah. And, and I think most importantly, the reason why I really love programming those pieces on that concert was because it could bring communities in Los Angeles together right. in a different way that than like the the than a lot of musical presentations have in the past. Right. So for example, if we have a concert, um like Rena Esmiel comes to mind. I'm sure you've heard Rena Esmiel. Uh she does a lot of work with Indi- Indian classical music and classical music. And when she creates a piece you look at the audience and there's this huge Indian community coming together with a bunch of other people and everybody's coming to hear this piece and then they can all collectively identify with the piece. And like that's, to me, that's like a really magical moment and and that's what's so important to me musically is that because we have such a diverse city, a diverse county and diverse country, that when people come to a classical concert, they're going to everybody's going to feel like they can get something out of it. everybody's going to feel like they can relate right. to what they're hearing on stage that's beautiful okay so a couple more things i wanted to talk to you about uh, what about your artist educator position at lego tell me how that works and tell me about your passion for arts education and music yeah so um, uh, the arts educator position for los angeles chamber orchestra is comprised of three different things um, one, I'm going to be doing, uh, uh, or I am doing, uh, some pre-concert lectures, pre-concert talks on various pieces. But then I'm also responsible for uh, giving some more ideas of how LACO can work with uh, young people in elementary school as part of their kind of... Uh, uh, the outreach? Their, yeah, it's mm. a, the, just like uh, community outreach. Community outreach, right. Yeah. Community engagement. Community engagement, um, where like they'll, they'll have like uh, elementary school kids 
come and and come to different concerts. Um, they'll also have like pre-concerts for the elementary school kids and talk to them about the piece and about classical music and how it works. So what they do is they have like these kind of teaching artists that go out and they kind of pre uh, preload the concert information for the kids so right. that they can come with a good understanding of what's happening. And so they brought me in to kind of uh, reconstruct some of the way that they communicate that information to the students. Uh, and then there's another program that's like a teaching composer fellow fellowship program where they'll take uh, they're going to be taking some composers from uh, uh, some of the universities that are going to go out and teach composition to some high school students Great. and then Great. they're also going to get mentored by me about you know kind of composition in the professional uh, world uh, where where like the business as the business side right. of of being a composer and being a musician was a bit neglected. Oh, just a uh, bit. When, when I was <laughs> in school. Yeah. <laughs> good luck. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, good luck figuring that out, <laughs> right? And so uh, this is also a chance for me to kind of mentor them, these composers who are going to be teaching these young people about some of the things that, some of the techniques that I've been using in my professional career in regards to, like, the business aspect of things and the pre- presentation aspect of things. But I'm really excited because uh, what it seems to me is that the orchestras, when they commission a composer, they don't just want a piece anymore. They well, want they shouldn't just want yeah, a piece. Yeah, well, they really shouldn't just want a piece. They want a composer to write a piece. They want them to come do a residency around the piece. They want them to talk to their community. They want them to be engaged with their community. Engage with the donors. Engage with the donors so that when the piece is played, everybody's getting the maximum they can from that piece, including the general public of the area that's supposed to be supporting that orchestra. Right. And um, and more and more, I think composers are going to really need to understand that this is kind of part of the deal. So you got to be a good speaker. You got to be, you got to be able to have a good way of giving everybody a really good sense of what your music is and what you're right, about. Right. Right. You can't just email a PDF and show up for the premiere. Exactly. Not going to happen. That's great. Yeah. It's fantastic. So, yeah. That's that's really what that's about. And then um, a vision unfolding, which is with the Sphinx Virtuosi. Tell me a little bit about them and about the piece. Yeah. So Sphinx Virtuosi was is a collection of musicians uh, that are of uh, Black and Latino uh, groups, and uh, they actually they they kind of uh, emerged from the Sphinx organization. Like, and, and there's this huge conference called Sphinx Connect. That actually happens in Detroit annually, usually around February. And um, this particular concert that I did with them was actually with a choir called Exigence. And they went on tour with uh, Sphinx Virtuosi to Carnegie Hall um, last month. And it was Exigence that actually performed uh, one of my choral works, um, a cappella. And A Vision Unfolding is the name of that piece. Uh, the piece of vision unfolding is is really about people having a difficult time understanding why other people might be upset that they're not getting treated well, and uh, in the lyrics, uh, I, I so I, I actually wrote all of the text as well as the music, and you know there's this one part in the text that says they see me fighting back because I'm not getting love back. So 
so there's 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 a there's a real situation where you know people feel like they're having to fight so much because nobody loves them, mm-hmm. or they feel like nobody loves them. Right? Right. I mean, people love them, but they may not feel that way, and so they're fighting about it. And that's the that that's part of the text of that piece. And then you know technically, what's going on with that piece is I've, I'm always like very fascinated with uh, English and the way that it flows. With music, completely different than not Italian. Not always and flowing. <laughs> no, very, very choppy. Yes. Very yeah. choppy and very rhythmic. Um, but what I found is that, you know, because it's choppy and rhythmic, it actually kind of creates a lot of really cool rhythms when you use it. So much of that piece is kind of based off of like some spoke, spoken word approach uh, type singing where it's like kind of broken and then there's also some uh, some multi-metered uh, rhythmic singing going on in there and um, I'll, I'll, there's a lot of harmonies that I really like from uh, South African like Zulu choral music um, so there's some of that in there but it, it, for me it's a really special piece because you know there's a lot of people across many, many, many races uh, that just are really angry Mm -hmm. right now because they just don't feel like they're loved. Angry and disenfranchised. Yeah. So is music the way to reach them? Um, I mean, it could be a way to reach them. It's not, it's definitely not like an end-all, be-all. And, you know, sometimes I get frustrated with music because um, I feel like, you know, I can write a good piece, but then if somebody... You know, I'd love to write a really a piece that has a real big effect on somebody and communicate uh, can communicate to somebody. But then, you know, if somebody if I have a a piece of paper and a violin and somebody else has a gun and then they shoot me, right? You know, it's over. And so sometimes I get frustrated because I wonder if like the arts actually has a is it can be a physical barrier to keep people protected. But then I'm always reminded that, you know, mentally, the mind is, like, the most powerful thing there is. And if people aren't thinking that they need to love one another, and if people aren't thinking that they need to have confidence in themselves to, like, really kind of progress and and be communal with their neighbors, then the other kind of thing can happen, right? And so that's just kind of how I have to kind of process that information really trying to get at you know people's mind and the way that they actually think about things and other people right because that's that's all you can do yeah well i think a lot of it is because people don't love themselves yeah so that's really where you have to start right yeah no you really you really do need to start there but you know a lot of times people don't love themselves because they don't think there's anybody like them and there was a there's like this kind of huge thing that i think it's ever ever since the 60s you know there's been a lot of like um, be proud of who you are, the individual, 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 right? Um, but I think now that's kind of gotten us into a, a bit of a crisis because now you have a bunch of individuals running around that don't know how to work together, you know? And the last time that that happened, there was World War One, right. you know, where countries just didn't, they didn't know how they wanted to work with each other, so everybody just fought each other for like years. Right, you have a lot of ego. That's yeah, what that is, and um, and so like there's like a, there's there's a balance of kind of collectivism and individualism that needs to be struck like at all times, mm-hmm. and I think right now it's just a little bit 
out of whack. Out of whack. <laughs> just a little. Yeah, just a little bit out of <laughs> whack. And and I think, you know, the, the more we can get that balance going, the better. And a lot of times people, you know, they people may not love themselves because they feel like they don't think there's anybody else like them, so they can't really share anything with anybody. And if you can never share with any, anything with anybody, you're going to go crazy. Right, right. You're going to go nuts. And I think music is a way to find that common yeah. ground. Well, you know what's not out of whack? Your music, which is incredible. <laughs> awesome. Bridging <laughs> people and bringing people together. I hope so. I want to keep working. <laughs> so what's next for you before we go? Tell tell me what you your next project, or do you have another album, or what do you think yeah. right now? So um, the next biggest project that I have is this ballet. Oh, that's happening with uh, some of my music in Dayton, Ohio. So the Dayton Philharmonic is playing one of my pieces, and they're setting it to a ballet. Fantastic. And um, what's really amazing is I saw the, the I did like a FaceTime, Skype thing, to watch the choreographer's work while, while, while he's kind of creating this piece. And um, I told him about the piece and how I kind of I wrote it at UCLA when I kind of felt alone there. I was the only African-American male, the only African-American period in the composition department uh, uh, out of the students at that time. And um, I had a bunch of imposter syndrome. Hmm. You know, I didn't know if I was supposed to be there. Um, but I had a really great teacher and there were some really great friends that I had, um, musicians, um, and I was writing this piece, and it was in that time when I really felt like I just had to, like, kind of push through, push through not really feeling like there was other people doing what I was doing, which is scary. And um, so I was communicating this to the choreographer, and there are moments in his choreography where you can literally see, like, some person standing alone doing some movement while there's this other movement happening around it. And then, like, there's something incredible that happens, like, at the very end. And I don't want to <laughs> say what it is. <laughs> uh, but they're going to they're gonna be feel, filming it and everything. And I, I just, I almost cried when I saw it because I was like, oh, my God, that, that person you. is me. Yeah, that's you. That I couldn't believe it. Unbelievable. So, yeah, I'm really, really looking forward to that. It's Congratulations. Um, so what did give you that strength to go on? when you were in college? Um, well, for me, it was because I just, I wanted to hear that music. Okay. I wanted to hear, I, like I wanted to hear what I was doing and how that developed. I mean, it took me like 15 years to really get what I heard in my head to actually work. Right. Um, and right. uh, compositionally, like with notation mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and to get people to play. And I felt like, you know, I was just an avid consumer of music, man. I was going in the ethnomusicology archives at UCLA and just, like, chomping on every bit of a recording I could find. In the uh, classical music in the library, I was going through all those CDs back at that time, listening to CDs back at that time, and just consuming, consuming, because I was always looking for what I was doing. Right. I was always like, let me see how they did. Let me see. Let me see how. And you weren't finding it. The only place I could find it, and it would only be for like 15 seconds of a cue in a film about some other culture. And then even when they used it, it was kind of (laughs) preloaded with like some, oh, okay, well, we're going to put Daduk in here to symbolize this Middle Eastern thing. (laughs) Even though the Daduk is like an Armenian, (laughs) is an Armenian classical instrument. 
and like why are they putting it for like just any any any, any kind r- of right yeah right. it's like well, why would you do that but I would hear like these moments where like they would have this the Duke player come in they play and then there would be something around it and be like 15 20 seconds I'd be like oh my gosh this is so amazing but then I could never find anything like that anywhere else except for that 15 seconds that 15 or 20 seconds and so I was just like well I just have to make it well this is the difference between just kind of random, uninformed cultural appropriation right. and informed. Right, right. Well, and then the, the really cool thing is, is what I also really love to do is each one of my concerts with each one of my pieces that has all these influence, I love to encourage people to listen to the music that influenced it. Right. Because it sounds so good and I can never do it as good as them, Like, which is why I don't like do those like exactly that. It's it's something else mm-hmm. influenced by. But uh, you know, going to look at some of the the source material for some of the, oh, it's just so magical. What about Lou Harrison? Do you like his music? Oh, I love Lou yeah. Harrison. He's amazing. That is just, he came to mind when I was listening to your music. Yeah, I like his piece for gamelan and violin. Oh, the concerto. Yeah, There's a great one for gamelan and viola too. Oh, cool. Yeah, Throne of and Carlos Chavez. Oh, exactly. So you probably, I'm sure you've heard. I that. think yeah, I've heard that one. It's yeah, it's gorgeous. Anyways, Derek, thank you so much. It's been just a pleasure to interview you, and um, can't wait to hear more of your music. Ah, sounds good. I'm happy to be here. I want to come back. Oh yeah, <laughs> you gotta come back and and yeah, tell us about the the DNA. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> Alrighty, thank All right, you. Thanks. I'm Brett Banducci, and you've been listening to Classical Chops Studio, the podcast from classicalchops.org. You can follow us on Facebook and YouTube, and if you haven't already, please subscribe and review us on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Thanks for listening.